0: Welcome back to the Adam Schefter podcast, the first podcast of 2023, when we begin to look back at the events that transpired during our vacation, our little break, our hiatus, and begin to look ahead to Wild Card Weekend. Joining us on the first podcast of the season is my friend and my colleague, Booger McFarlane, as we look ahead to Monday night's massive showdown in Tampa between the struggling Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the struggling Dallas Cowboys. Booger breaks down the game that'll take place in his hometown of Tampa. And we also will look back to the events of two Monday nights ago, when on Monday night football, DeMar Hamlin suffered a near fatal injury and had to have his life saved on the football field before he was taken to the hospital there in Cincinnati. Booger and I will relive that night and what it was like to broadcast it. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove
1: home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home.
0: The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. it. Paid for by NHTSA. But looking back on last weekend, week 18, there were a couple of things that stood out before we get into wildcard weekend. Number one, the Houston Texans. Man, did they set back the franchise on one final Sunday. Amazing how they had the inside track on the number one pick, the value-coveted number one overall pick, all year long for all the losing and misery and suffering that that franchise went through in the 2022 season and then win a completely meaningless game against the Indianapolis Colts, Lovey Smith's last stand to ownership there and cost themselves the number one overall pick in a win that day, but a loss long-term that will influence and impact this franchise for years to come. Now they are scheduled to pick number two. Now Chicago has moved up to number one and the Bears can trade the first overall pick to any quarterback needy team that wants to try to come up and take Bryce Young or whoever they want. And the Texans, if they want the quarterback of their choosing, will have to trade back or risk the opportunity of losing out or watch somebody leapfrog them. But it's amazing to me that they found a way to win that game, that they didn't deactivate more players like veterans, like Brandon Cooks on the defensive side of the football as well. I just cannot believe that. The New York Jets, a couple of years ago, won a meaningless game in Los Angeles against the Rams. Now, they won another game as well, so maybe it would not have mattered But the day that they beat the Rams, the Jacksonville Jaguars leapfrogged them into the number one pick. And in the end, the Jacksonville Jaguars drafted Trevor Lawrence at one, and the Jets drafted Zach Wilson at two. But the Jets won that game in L.A. that day, just like the Texans won that game on Sunday in Indianapolis, and they will pay the price for that for years to come potentially.
1: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line.
0: The other game that stood out and the events surrounding it were Sunday night in Green Bay. Packers lose again. They've lost their last game at Lambeau Field in each of the past three years. They lost the NFC Championship game to Tampa a couple of years back. They lost their first playoff game last year at home. To San Francisco, and now they lost in a game that would have clinched a playoff spot to the Detroit Lions. And by now, many of us have seen that video after the game, in which the Lions rookie receiver, Jameson Williams, comes over to Aaron Rodgers, asks him for his jersey, and Aaron Rodgers tells him he's holding on to this one. Now there can be no other conclusion to reach, which I think we all agree And Aaron Rodgers wants to take some time to decide what he wants to do with his future. But just watching that moment unfold on TV with him walking off arm and arm with Randall Cobb while Aaron Rodgers had tears in his eyes before the game. Tears in his eyes. It's not hard to figure out that there's a real possibility that that was his final game as a Green Bay Packer. And if it was, it was an incredible run. And he finishes as one of the all-time great quarterbacks along with Bart Starr and Brett Favre in Packers franchise history. But he's going to have to take some time to process what he wants to do. But it certainly looked like there's a real chance that that may have been his last game in Green Bay as the Green Bay Packers quarterback, which would be just incredible. And now we begin to look ahead to the wild card matchups that came out of that night in Green Bay and came out of the rest of the season. We start off with the Seahawks and the 49ers. I don't want people to think about this for a moment. The 49ers are down to their third string quarterback this season, their third string quarterback. And yet they have just marched on and won games and are on this incredible run entering the playoffs with the last pick in the draft, Rock Purdy, who has stated his case to be the quarterback of this team, not just this season, but into future seasons. And who would have thought In the first playoff game of 2023, that it would be Geno Smith versus Brock Purdy. Geno Smith versus Brock Purdy. And I can't wait to see it. Unbelievable. Geno Smith had the highest completion percentage in the NFL this season. And his 30 touchdown passes were fourth in the league. Who would have thought that before this season? That Geno Smith and Brock Purdy will be squaring off in the first playoff game of this weekend. Followed by the Chargers and Jaguars. It's the playoff debut for Justin Herbert, who's got the most passing yards by any quarterback in their first three seasons in NFL history. And we've certainly seen Trevor Lawrence take the next step. It will be his playoff debut as well. After he finished the regular season with 25 touchdown passes, the second most in Jaguars franchise history should be a great matchup. On Sunday, Dolphins-Bills. And as we tape this Tuesday afternoon, My guess and sense would be that we don't see Tuatunga-Vailoa. Monday, he hadn't gotten medical clearance. And it's hard to imagine in this week that he's going to get medical clearance. So there are still a lot of questions that have to be answered. Let's see if that happens. But I think the Dolphins are going to be very cautious there, as they should be. I think doctors are going to do the right thing. And that means that we may be seeing Teddy Bridgewater or Skylar Thompson play quarterback for the Miami Dolphins as they have their fifth playoff meeting against Buffalo with the Bills having won three of the previous four games that these two teams have squared off in in the postseason. Josh Allen, three at home in his playoff career, hasn't lost there, whereas whereas he's 0-3 on the road, so important for Buffalo to be home. Then we get the Giants and Vikings. They just met a short time ago, week 16. Vikings won 27-24 on a 61-yard field goal by Greg Joseph. As time expired, it's the Giants' first playoff appearance since 2016. Remember that boat photo that everybody took? Of course, you do. And Kirk Cousins goes back to the postseason. He's one and two as a starter in his playoff career. And his only win came on the road in 2019 in the wild card round at the Saints. Sunday night, another rematch, Ravens at Bengals. We just saw it this past Sunday. The big question will be about Lamar Jackson and whether or not he plays. Very interesting. Last week had one person say, quote unquote, strong chance he plays. Another person say, not so fast. Another person say, they think he will play. And again, I think the telltale sign may come when we see whether or not Lamar Jackson is practicing this week. But he's missed the last five regular season games because of a sprain PCL. Hasn't played since week 13 against Denver. And I was told over the weekend, he still is swelling in that knee. We'll see whether he's able to overcome that to play the Bengals that are trying to win a playoff game in consecutive seasons for the first time in franchise history. And Cincinnati right now is a dangerous, dangerous team. And then, of course, we have the Monday night game between Dallas and Tampa. A lot on the line there. ESPN ABC will be there. We will be on before the game to bring you ESPN's Monday Night Countdown. And I will be there along with Susie Colbert. Steve Young, Robert Griffin III, and my friend, my colleague, who joins us now, Booger McFarlane. Boog! What up, Shefty? How you doing, my friend? I'm living the dream, sir. How are you? Living the dream, huh? Yeah, man. We're coming to see you on Monday.
1: Hey, let's go, baby. It's 75 degrees of sunshine here. Oh, you know how much I can't
0: stand that, Boog. (laughs) Right? Home game for Booger McFarlane on Monday night.
1: Tell me about it. Hey, after after some of the travel we've done, we deserve it.
0: And we are looking forward to this one. And so one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you this week was we've got a huge Monday night game on ESPN. Monday night, Dallas at Tampa. And we're coming off a traumatic Monday night experience. I think that would be the best way of describing it with you and Susie and me being in studio on the night that DeMar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest. I wanted to first look ahead to this week's game before we look back to last week's game and ask you what you're expecting Monday night to be like in your home city.
1: I think it's going to be unbelievable from the standpoint of the the fans, the crowd, Um, A lot of people expect, not that they know anything, that this is going to be Tom Brady's last run in Tampa. And so I think the expectation is they're going to get Brady at his best, or at least they hope they get Brady at his best. And for a team that's had great expectations all season long, those expectations have not been fulfilled. And I think there's hope amongst a lot of people that they will be. Now, as an analyst, I look at it a little bit differently this team has shown us all season long (laughs) that they haven't been able to fulfill those expectations. And I'm a firm believer when someone or some team shows you who they are, you believe them. And I've said this on air all year long. I just don't think they're very, uh, very good. I think they're inconsistent. I think the quarterback has been up and down and they won a bad division kind of by default. So I'm not expecting much from the Buccaneers, but if you flip it over to the other side, I think the Cowboys may be playing – (laughs) Just as bad, especially the quarterback, turning the football over. The defense isn't as good in Dallas as we thought it was going to be or as it was at a certain point in time. So, Chef, you got two teams who I think at their best didn't expect to be playing in in the positions that they're in this weekend. That's at four and five. However, I think they're happy to be in the dance, but I also think neither one knows what to expect.
0: Now – You mentioned that the feeling in Tampa is that people believe this will be Brady's last dance, so to speak, with Tampa. Yeah. What do you think there?
1: Um, My personal feeling is that when this season's over, he's done in Tampa. It doesn't mean he's done playing football, but I think his his run in Tampa uh, will be over. Uh, I I think when you base it on him coming to play with and for Bruce Arians, that's number one. Bruce Arians is no longer – um running the show I think there have been some things that have gone on under the Bowles regime on and how things have been ran probably not to his liking and I also think there's just a little bit of bad mojo based on how his year has gone um relative to the expectations coming into the 2022-2023 season both professionally and personally you know it's interesting right
0: because We're in a situation where this potentially could be Tom Brady's last game. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people talking about Mike McCarthy's future and whether he would survive if the Dallas Cowboys don't win on Monday night. Now, Jerry Jones, to be clear and fair, has come out and said, no, that's not the case. He's not thinking like that. But I think a lot of people view it as such that if Dallas were to go one and done in the postseason – in two straight years, that Jerry might make that change. It's not hard to envision it despite what he says. So the way that I look at Monday night, interestingly enough, is that we might be seeing Tom Brady's last game in Tampa, or we might be seeing the end of this particular regime as it is in Dallas,
1: one or the other. You know, that's an interesting way to look at it. I agree with you as far as Mike McCarthy is concerned. I think as long as Sean Payton and the allure of Sean Payton coaching the Cowboys is in, is in our minds and you juxtapose that with the expectation that the Cowboys have always had in the hastiness in which Jerry Jones wants to win a championship, if they come to Tampa and the favorite, okay, they're the favorite and they lose, especially if they lose in a manner unbecoming of a team that should be the favorite, I don't think anyone will believe the word that Jerry Jones said on the radio, uh, his normal radio hit, uh, whenever that was. I think people realize that Jerry uh, Jerry is in a rush to get a championship, yeah. and he has been for a while. And if he can find someone who he thinks can get him there faster, he'll make a move. And here's the unbelievable
0: part about it to me. The Dallas Cowboys play in Tampa Monday night, January 16th. Sean Payton is eligible to meet with NFL teams Tuesday, January 17th.
1: (laughs) Sometimes you can't make it up, Jeff. Sometimes you just like the worlds kind of collide and meet together. And you know this, and I've said this before, I do not believe in coincidences. And so if the Bucs beat the Cowboys on Monday night, that Tuesday date becomes even bigger. It's just very interesting how that all shakes out. So
0: that's this Monday night. Last Monday night was a night that many people will never forget. It was one of those, where were you when this happened? And as you process all that unfolded over the last week, and thank God DeMar Hamlin is doing significantly better He's been released from the hospital in Cincinnati. He's back in Buffalo. He's neurologically intact. It has gone exactly the way that everybody wished and prayed it would. Yeah. But when you look back on the last week, book, what stands out to you about that night and what will you remember
1: about it? Well, I'll always remember the sequence of events. You know, um, we all were in the green room eating dinner. Like it was a normal Monday night. And when you saw the, saw the hit, it was a normal hit. You saw him stand up and you saw him fall back down. Look different. It wasn't a normal football uh, play or a normal reaction to something. And so then our minds started to wonder with speculation of what it could be. And I think at that moment when one of the stage guys said, hey, guys, they want you back in the studio, like I had no idea what was going on and no idea what I was going to say. And as we're getting seated and getting mic'd up and all those things, and then you hear Joe Buck say they're doing CPR. And at that moment, um, the first thing that came to my mind, Shepard, was life and death. Because the only reason you're doing CPR is because somebody's having trouble breathing or not breathing at all. And man, at, at that moment, it was as if I were standing on that field because I, I've been there for so long. Uh, Even now, when we go to do Monday Night Countdown, I'm on the field. Like, I've been on that field of play as a player, a broadcaster, for a long time, and the empathy in which I felt for DeMar and his family uh, just kind of took over me. And I'll always remember when they came to us in studio just wondering and thinking, um, how did I process the risk? And did I even think about it? Because I guarantee you, no player on that field thought about life and death when they started that game. But here we are in a moment where every player is standing around praying because one guy is fighting for his life. And and I think that's something that I'll always remember. And and, and of course, the events and everything. But that one thought was permeating my mind as we're, we're starting our coverage on air. It was an unbelievable night. Had you ever
0: experienced anything broadcasting-wise that you could compare it to? Anything?
1: You you know, I was hosting Mike and Mike with Mike Greenberg. And it was the morning Aaron Hernandez hung himself. And literally, we go to our first commercial break, and the news desk says, Hey, guys, we can now confirm that Aaron, Aaron Hernandez has committed suicide. And so we gotta we gotta come back from commercial in probably three three minutes. So we don't have long. And Mike Greenberg looked at me and he says, really simple. He said, just tell me how you feel. Tell me how you feel. Uh we're not gonna speculate how, what, whatever. Just tell me how you feel. And we'll be fine. Now this was at 6 yeah. 15. Yep. And we're on the air till 10, 10 a.m. So we got three hours and 45 minutes to talk about a guy who is in jail for murder. Um, He's committed suicide and he was a pro football player. So there's so many different ranges and so many different ways you can paint this picture. Now, just remember what he said. Just tell me how you feel. And so I, I wanted to be very careful that morning not to paint him in a picture of he's a hero because here's a guy who was in prison for murder, but also wanted to be empathetic because he's somebody's son and he was a father. So here's a human being that's lost. And so I think there was a delicate balance of being able to comment and talk about it while at the same time, not going in any direction that could be looked at as reckless. And so Mm -hmm. as we come out Monday night, I'm thinking about like that first thought that's permeating my mind. And then from a broadcasting standpoint, I knew and I remember those words that Mike Greenberg said to me, be honest, tell me how you feel. And so as we are talking about DeMar Hamlin, me, you and Susie, I'm just trying to tell you guys how I feel. I'm telling you, I'm not worried about whether it's right or wrong from a standpoint of uh, an opinion. I'm just telling you what, what I'm feeling as a player, what's going on inside me. And we don't know anything. I'm not speculating about the injury or speculating about what's going on, but just my feeling of what I feel, what my mother would feel if she were in the stands. Okay, because his mom was in the stands. So I'm just trying to get those those feelings into words and hope and and praying to God they made sense because we're live on the air. And again, going going back to my initial thought, we have life and death in the balance. But we're live on air. So millions of people are watching us trying to put our thoughts together in real time. And that's like, that's what made the situation so difficult. Um, And I'm just hoping that I'm I'm putting the right touch and using the the right words um, and not be reckless because there are a lot of mothers and fathers and brothers and people watching us and they're all gonna have different emotions just like I was. And everybody,
0: I think, in the football universe was watching because everybody had heard about it or was watching live. And so everybody was tuned in that particular night. A couple of things there. As you were bringing up the Aaron Hernandez thing, I was trying to think of had I ever been through anything like this. And the I could not think of anything. But when you said Aaron Hernandez, that morning, I was driving to Bristol, Connecticut, and his death was confirmed. And... I was rushed into the studio to go live for the next hour or two or whatever it was. I don't remember specifically. I'd have to look back into the journal I keep, but I did live television with Bob Lee. Yeah. And Bob Lee, I'll never forget, was reciting facts about the court case and Aaron Hernandez's situation. And I remember sitting there, sitting there in awe. Awe of what he was doing, and how he put on a clinic at the time of a tragedy and a crisis and something that was monumental in the sports world. About how he broadcast that, and I remember thinking, Bob Lee is working for ESPN, and Bob Lee could be anching, Bob Lee could be anchoring any evening newscast and been as good or as polished. As anybody who does it, David Muir, Lester Holt, you could pick any anchor. Bob Lee was as good, if not better, than every one of them in a spot like that. And as you were talking about Aaron Hernandez, the other one that flashed into my mind, and I don't know whether you were there or not. Well, When we were at the Pro Bowl in Orlando, and we got the message that Kobe Bryant died,
1: Kobe Bryant, I was actually, um, Tess and I were doing the Pro Bowl and we were in the position of wow. we, we go on the air wow. to do the Pro Bowl. Right. However, we haven't we haven't been given the green light to discuss it because everyone like TMZ had already put it out there. I think TMZ and maybe CBS News, but our people at ABC and ESPN have have had not confirmed it. And so we're on the air for one segment, maybe 15 minutes, talking about the Pro Bowl, which we all know at that point was just a mockery of a game. Meanwhile, the entire country is discussing and talking about Kobe Bryant. And the news desk finally gave us the the go-ahead to discuss it. However, the first thing they said was Kobe. So then social media told us his daughter was on board. Well, the news desk hadn't confirmed the daughter yet. So we were on the air for 20 minutes with no Kobe. Another 30 minutes with just Kobe. And then finally, the last, like, I don't know, 90 minutes, we we could go with Kobe and his daughter both died in a helicopter crash.
0: See, and we were doing the pregame show on the field, and there was about 20 minutes left in the show. And all of a sudden, it erupted on social media that Kobe was in this accident. But again, we did not have confirmation of it. And so now we're on the air talking about the Pro Bowl. And I was getting upset about the fact, obviously, what happened and the fact that we can't do anything. So it's like two worlds like you're sad about the events and you're sad about like I I was sad about the events and I was actually angry that we couldn't do it because it was all that people were talking about. And we're on air talking about a meaningless Pro Bowl game. And everybody knows the elephant in the room of what's going on. And we're not giving clearance to go ahead and talk about it. And so that probably would have been the closest thing had we been giving clearance to go on air and talk about it, which we never were during the course of the time that we were on. And I had my daughter in tow. So that was how many years ago? Three years ago, roughly?
1: uh yeah three four years ago
0: so even she was attuned with what's going on and i remember we went into the truck and i remember people were crying in our truck and Susie was in the room that we're normally in and my daughter who didn't know Susie very well i'll never forget this as long as i live it was one of the most memorable things that she's ever walked over gave Susie a hug and offered these loving words like i'm very sorry and it's gonna be okay like i thought to myself You're 10 years old and you're comforting this adult who's visibly upset and shaken by it. It was one of the most incredible things that I'd seen. But I hadn't thought of that particular incident until you brought up Aaron Hernandez, which I was in studio for with Bob Lee, which yeah. triggered the Kobe Bryant thing, which brings us back to the situation last Monday night, which I hope and think, I don't know that will ever be. In a spot like that, as emotionally distressing, as challenging, and as uncertain as we were that night. That was a night that we will never forget. And I'll always remember being Mm -hmm. at work with you and Susie. And we had just finished our dinner. And I just that's exactly what I remember, too. Just the situation as it unfolded. We're watching the game. We see the hit. That's not good. Oh, that's really not good. Oh, boy. This is... This is bad. We better get in the studio. We better get
1: mic'd up. We better be ready to go on air here. We're on air. Let me ask you this, Chef, because people have asked me all week about how I felt. How did you feel? We come on the air, and we're talking, and you're in a position where you are the information guy when it comes to football at ESPN. You're our senior insider uh, connected to seven phones, and we're at a point where we don't have much information. Joe Buck is giving us a little bit and a little piece every now and then on the broadcast as much as he has, but you are in that chair and trying to find out information and we're live on television. And you also have to give thoughtful words about a player in a situation that had to be difficult and uncomfortable for you. So. How did you feel? The thing about it
0: is I didn't seek any information. And I actually thought about it after the fact, like I could have sent texts to various people on site. I could have sent various texts to people with the league office. My phone, if you remember that night was blowing up. I had doctors texting me, coaches texting me general managers, texting like, It was, and I had all sorts of people texting me. It was a hundred texts. They were just pouring in with observations, with opinions. And in a way, I didn't want to reach out to anybody because I knew the crisis that it was. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to badger somebody when they're fighting to save this guy's life. So I was just watching and taking in the information That was coming to me rather than going out and soliciting it myself. I was almost paralyzed by fear, which is a strange thing as a reporter to admit. But in a way, I didn't want to interfere with anything going on on site. I didn't feel like that that was right. Like, oh, so I'm going to get information 10 seconds in a minute. Let everybody do their jobs. Yeah. We're all watching. We're all waiting, and the information will be visible on the screen, or it won't. Um, there'll be time to kind of retrieve it, and so we're watching on the screen. And I'm getting the text I was getting, but I, I guess I owe a little bit of an apology. I didn't, I didn't go out and solicit that information. I guess that's my job. So in a way, I didn't do my job, but I honestly felt like I needed to be focused as focused as I could on that moment of being on air. And a lot of times when we're doing SportsCenter or NFL Live or Get Up, or you name the show and I'm texting, you're not completely focused Yeah, being on air. And so I'm half on the show. I'm half engaged in a text conversation. I'm kind of all over. I didn't feel like I could do that that night. I felt like I had to be fully there. I had to fully process and grasp everything that was unfolding on TV, right in front of us. And people asked us, were you seeing the other feeds? Did we see the shots of him on the field that others at ESPN saw in the broad? We didn't see any of that. We had no access to that. We saw the exact Mm -hmm. images that everybody at home saw, nothing more, nothing less. And to me, I felt like it was such a delicate, sensitive, emotional, traumatic spot to be in that it required me to be there more than to reach out and badger people about, is he alive? What are he, how are you going to treat him? What's going on there? Are they canceling the game?
1: We're going to see it. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it, it, I think it makes a ton of sense. I, I think I was just very interested to see or hear – What was going on in your mind and how you processed it? Because I've been asked that question all throughout the week since then, especially now that he's back in Buffalo and everything that we wanted to happen is seemingly happening and he is going to make a full recovery. Uh, Not only are the lights on, but somebody's home, uh, as the doctor put it. Uh, I've been asked that question a lot. What was going through your mind? Kind of the aftermath. People are just trying to understand, like when you get put in a situation and you're live on the air, how you handle it. And I, I think we all handle things different ways, and we all have different thought processes. And I haven't asked Susan this, but I will just to know what was going on in your mind, because we all have different thought processes, and those are all shaped and based on uh, our experiences in life. And you know, to your point about Aaron Hernandez and about Kobe, it's amazing um, how similar our circumstances have been in those two incidences where. We've both worked at the company, and in yeah. those two uh, yeah. situations, we've both been on air uh, either instantaneously or soon thereafter they happen.
0: Yeah, you and I, Aaron Hernandez, you doing the radio, me doing Sports Center, Kobe Bryant, both at the Pro Bowl, you in the booth or on the field, and me doing the pregame show. And this, we were joined together. And I think you'll agree with this. Well, you knew it was serious, and I always feel like these jobs, especially that night, especially that night, are like walking the high wire, where people are just Mm -hmm. watching and waiting to see if you fall off that high wire. Yeah. It was, like I said, it was so overwhelming, but even then you couldn't process all of it until after we were off air, in the days that followed, even now, even now. Like, we didn't have this conversation to relive that. And I remember getting done, and I remember, like, exhaling and thinking, I really – I pray to God that this young man is okay. Mm -hmm. And also being relieved it was over, but also wanting to do more of it. Like, it was was emotionally exhausting being out there.
1: Yeah, and I went back to my hotel room, and I called my wife, and – you know, share some thoughts with her. Um, there were a few people uh, in and around the league who had sent text. I reached out to a couple of those, and I just laid there, and I watched Scott Van Pelt, just hoping that he has some more information. And, you know, as we fast forward through the week, um, SVP gave me a ring. He, he called me, mm-hmm. and he and I were just talking. He said, you know, the, 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 the most, I don't know, weird feeling that I felt all week is when people in our business, uh, people at our company, people at other companies will send you a text or call you and say, hey man, I thought you did a great job. And I'm like, I don't know if I really want to to accept doing a great job in Mm -hmm. that situation. It's kind of a weird feeling because usually, you know, usually you're looking for some type of adulation or praise to confirm Uh, what you feel, whether you did a good job or a bad job. And I think in that situation, the human side and the prayerful side of of everyone took over. And it's really not trying to do a good job. It's really just being a human and having empathy for the situation and having empathy for another human. And I think that's kind of the weird feeling that I felt when it came to the aftermath of what happened that night and what happened in, in the days that were to come. Totally agree.
0: And it feels like more people were kind of tuned into that. I think the numbers now were something like 23 million viewers, I think I read somewhere in that piece that Don Van Natter wrote, which I had no idea how many people were tuned in until I saw him kind of breaking down right. the situation. But but you heard from a lot of different quarters about that particular night. And again, it, it, we cared about him and this guy being okay. Uh, and I don't feel like – like I, I don't look back at that with any – great particular pride there were things I wish I had done differently but we did as good as we could have done under those circumstances but it was odd right like I've now worked at ESPN since the summer of 2009 so we're talking 13 and a half years that was the only night I believe that I've ever gotten an email and it came to me you and Susie from Bob Iger
1: (laughs) yeah uh, I've met Bob once at the national championship game in Santa Clara well, I think Clemson Alabama were playing yeah. but never before had I gotten an email from him uh, especially now that he's come back for the second time that he left and now he's back <laughs> right and so so for Bob I get to be back now and, and, and you know what Shefty, um I don't look for pats on the back in in a lot of situations. I think for us though, when, when we do get put in predicaments that may be uncomfortable, or we do get assigned big events, uh, Super Bowls, all these different things, or get to cover big events, I think it's good for us to be, or for the acknowledgement, especially from the president uh, and the CEO of Disney, for someone to say, hey, you guys represented us well. Because I think that's the ultimate compliment right. for you, me, and for anybody that's on air. When they, can look on TV and see us and say, you represented the fullest of our company. That is something that um, I think when it's all said and done, I look back on and say, you know what? Okay. I like that.
0: Well, it was pretty neat. I mean, it was pretty unique. Like I said, I don't think I had ever gotten an email from him before, a personal email like that. I don't think you ever yeah. had. I don't know that he yeah. has. And it was very nice of him to take a moment to, just acknowledge it and as you said I really didn't care about the pra- I I was just glad that the night went off that he was okay the young man that we didn't screw anything up that that's that's Correct. how yeah. I felt about it I mean if I'm going to be honest like we didn't do something that wound up being dissected and critiqued and criticized because everybody's watching and I and that's just how I feel it people are just waiting for that yeah i agree Bog, I appreciate the time today. I look forward to seeing you in sunny and warm Tampa <laughs> for our final Monday night appearance of the season. It should be a great night, and uh, we'll see if there's finality in that night for anybody on either of the teams involved.
1: Well, if what you and I both feel, there's going to be finality for one because both teams can't win. And we have storylines on each side So there's going to be finality for someone who that's why we watch and that's why they play the game.
0: I know who the is for right now. I know right now. Who's that? Sources tell me it's us. It's the final Monday night countdown of the season.
1: (laughs) I love it. Sources.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for the time today. I appreciate the insights. We could somehow play this tape back when they do a 30 for 30 on that night with DeMar Hamlin.
1: No question. Thanks, buddy.
0: Thank you, my friend. And that was something that we always will remember. We'll always look back on that night. We'll always have the memories of that night. But I had no idea that we were joined in peripheral ways in other memorable broadcasting scenarios. And Booger does a great job. My dear friend, love working with the guy and really enjoyed having him here on this podcast today. This is our first podcast after the break for the holidays and the new year. And while we were on break, The busy time of the break came on Christmas Day. I never would have imagined it. I was so happy when we had our last Monday Night Countdown road trip of the year, 2022. We were in Green Bay for the Rams-Packers game. And I came back home, and Nickelodeon called my daughter, who does work for Slime Time, on Thursday, December 22nd, to ask if there was any way that she could be in L.A., to do the sideline reporting for the Rams-Broncos game on Christmas Day. Now, their regular sideline reporter, Young Dylan, who is a rock star and a kid who already is a star and is going to be a bigger star, who does work on Nickelodeon, he was sick, couldn't go, so they wanted my Dylan to replace Young Dylan on that show. My wife doesn't like to fly, doesn't like to travel, got five dogs at home. I had the ESPN pregame show on Saturday in New York City. We had Sports Center on Sunday before Monday Night Countdown in New York City again before the Colts-Chargers game, but I recognized that my daughter Dylan needed a chaperone out there, so I volunteered to do it. So Saturday, December 24th, went into the city, did the show, met her at Kennedy Airport, flew to LA. She did the sideline reporting for that game, did a great job, her first live television ever, We took the red eye back that Sunday night, her first red eye. I actually reveled in that to a certain degree because I wanted her to feel what I have felt all season long, taking red eyes back from L.A. and San Francisco. I had to like that, Dylan. Yeah, that was not fun, Dad. That's right, Dylan. Red eyes are not fun. And it was a great experience having her be out there and watching and being around the Nickelodeon CBS crew uh, and seeing how they do their work, which was just fascinating to be around that day. And it was great. To be a part of that, but over the weekend, I emailed ESPN's Baltimore Ravens reporter Jameson Hensley to ask him a question about Lamar Jackson, and he sent me back a text. And he sent me back a text this past Saturday night, and he said, out of nowhere, unsolicited, thought you would get a kick out of this. My ten-year-old son Jack saw your email to me and asked, "Is that Dylan Schefter's dad?" He's a big fan of slime time. And that was the first time, I believe, that I've been identified, not for the job that I do, but for being Dylan Schefter's dad. I hope it's the first of many. There's nothing that brought me more happiness that day than to be identified as Dylan Schefter's dad. And if that's my claim to fame, that I'm Dylan Schefter's dad, I'm okay with that over and over and over again. It's great to be back on the podcast. Great to be bringing more interviews, insight, and information. We'll be doing it every week now for the remainder of the season. I want to thank my colleague and friend Booger McFarland for his time and thought today. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah, Sarah Abbott for putting together this podcast. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week after we return from the Monday night matchup in Tampa Bay between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys where somebody, somebody might be experiencing their last little time with their particular franchise. We'll see how that works out. Until then, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.